Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have a special show for you because this is the 100th episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast. And uh, it has been quite a journey, and I'm really happy to have you here today listening, and I'm hoping that you will come on this journey, a little bit of reminiscence, and also a little bit of look into the future with me for what is next. So yeah, so this has been quite something, real experience. I started the, the podcast, essentially, it didn't used to be called the Brand Design Masters podcast. Essentially, when I started this audio kind of journey, I started it on YouTube. I actually started it um, as the Brand Muse interview series. So Brand Muse, as you may know, is the name of my newsletter. And so I called it the Brand Muse interview series. And I did it only on YouTube because I didn't have a podcast yet. So I started off interviewing guests, and I've had some just amazing guests on the podcast and on the Brand Muse interview series. People like Chris Ducker of Upreneur and Chris Doe of The Future, Amy Landino, who at that time was Amy Schmidauer, who had a YouTube channel called Sexy Savvy Social, which is about social media. I also interviewed Roberto Blake, the iconic Marty Neumeyer, Michael Janda, Von Glitschka. I just recently had on the show Mauro Porcini, who is the chief creative officer of PepsiCo, who actually used to be my old boss. And so I've just had some really, really incredible people on the show. And if you haven't heard those episodes with those people, they are all really great. So I encourage you to go back and kind of check out the archive of the Brand Design Masters podcast if you, if you haven't been along on this journey for a long time. And so I wanted to share a little bit with you today about what this journey has been like. And I always kind of look at myself as kind of the crash test dummy of personal branding. I've been at this about eight years, and I'm going to share a little bit more about that kind of pivot point in my career, what brought me to this moment of the 100th podcast. And so let's talk about first, let's talk about what's worked, what's worked in this podcast. And I have to say, I started off interviewing people and periodically I would share or I would repurpose a live stream on YouTube in audio form for a podcast because there are a few of those live streams which were very popular or particular YouTube episodes that were very popular and were more long form. And so I decided to share them on the podcast so people could listen to them more easily than having to watch a video. You could listen to it on the go, you could in your car or walking your dog. It's just a lot easier. So I started off interviewing people, and interviewing people was really fun. I met a lot of people that I really wanted to meet and get to know, and I forged some really great friendships and relationships. And that's one of the things that podcasting is really good for, is kind of meeting some of the people that you want to meet and diving into some of the questions and the subjects that you that you're curious about with them. One of the things that podcasting taught me very early on, and I and I, I credit Chris Doe for kind of leading me to, to think about this more. And the reason why I think about it more because of Chris Doe is because I had him on my Brand Muse interview series at the time. And then he very shortly, he very quickly had me on the Futures podcast, where I kind of went into an extensive life story. And 
that has also proved to be a popular episode for them on the future. But one of the things that when Chris was interviewing me that I really recognized was that he really didn't have a clear format for how he asked questions or where he wanted the interview to go. And he just asked me one beginning question, and then the conversation flowed from there. And it was very clear that he was just listening to the answers very intently and developing some curiosity of where he wanted to take the conversation and letting it flow where it will. And I was really struck by that. And at the time, I had developed a group of probably 25 or 30 questions that I ticked through the line and checked the boxes on every single interview that I had. I had been inspired by uh, John Lee Dumas's Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, where he had a very specific kind of set of questions that he asked every guest, which gave his podcasts a a bit of a a consistency to them, which was kind of cool. But by the same token, what they do is when you're the interviewer and you're talking to your guest and you're running through a series of said questions, you kind of are just waiting for the next question. And waiting for them to end the answer to the previous question. And I found out over a period of time that that kind of what that did was it created a very stilted interview. And so I started to really just ask a few questions and then let conversation kind of evolve to where it wanted to go. And I found that those sorts of conversations and interviews were so much more pleasurable for my guests and also more pleasurable for me And they just felt much more natural. They felt more like a conversation rather than a very one-way kind of talk show host interaction. And so I really kind of evolved how I was doing my podcast. So that's one of the things that's worked, but also one of the things that's evolved. And the other thing I realized was that podcasts have a whole lot of moving parts. I had my YouTube channel for a year, maybe two years before I started my podcast And I was concerned when I was starting it that I might not have the bandwidth to actually manage it because I was running an agency, I was doing a newsletter, I had a weekly YouTube episode that I put out, I had a lot on my plate. But my my kind of marketing assistant team encouraged me to start a podcast because I was really leaving a lot of my audience out because if you couldn't watch my videos, and you, unless you pay for YouTube premium, you can't just listen to a video on your phone. You're kind of stuck at a computer or on a screen in order to really consume my content. So being able to listen on the go in the car, walking your dog, you know, whatever it is that you're doing in a podcast format was just made a lot of sense. So they encouraged me to start a podcast. So I did. And then one of the things that my team said was that we'll handle absolutely everything. All you have to do is just record it. And then we'll do everything. We'll edit it, we'll post it, blah, blah, blah. So when we started off, I was recording things and just handing it off. But I've been a musician my whole life and have mixed and recorded music my whole life. And I have very kind of a high standards when it comes to audio quality. So I had a tough time handing that responsibility off to people at the beginning. And so I ended up kind of holding on to the audio mixing bit of it. and. Then there were the show notes, and then there were the thumbnails to approve, and then there were the guests to vet and and schedule, and it turned out to be just a whole lot more work than I had anticipated. And so over the last few years, it's been quite a juggling act to keep all of my content coming out at the same time. So that's one of the things that kind of hasn't worked, is that it really, really created a certain amount of compression 
in my content stream and also in my workload. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But another thing that kind of hasn't worked, or one of the things that I was expecting that uh, wasn't as easy or not as fruitful as I thought it was going to be, was that one of the reasons why you do a podcast is so you can leverage the audiences of others. So you have guests on your show who have audiences of their own. And the goal is, is that their audiences will come to listen to, you know, your guest when they're on your podcast, and therefore you can hopefully grow your listenership. And the other piece of it is that hopefully that guest would promote the podcast episode that they're on to their audience as well, either through email or social media. And then you would gain more listenership by leveraging their audiences, right? So that's the concept. And that's the concept for a lot of interaction when it comes to interview level sorts of interactions. So one of the things that I found out was that actually that is very hard to make happen. Like a lot of guests, I was actually really shocked because when I'm on someone else's podcast, I promote the hell out of it because I want people to, you know, listen to my episodes and also experience these new shows that have been very gracious to invite me on. So I promote the hell out of those, but I found that a lot of my guests, even marketing people, very rarely promoted their episode to their audience in any way. And I made it very easy. I would give them swipe copy. I would give them JPEG social media graphics that they could just like plug the graphic in and take the swap, swipe copy and plug it in and hit publish. But it was it was very kind of few and far between that people did that. And that was really disappointing. And that was also one of the reasons why I started pivoting away a little bit from doing only interview podcasts. Let's talk a little bit about how the shows evolved. So as I said, when I first started off, I was just doing interviews. It was, it was purely interviews on YouTube, but then eventually I pivoted and, and started doing, doing podcasts. I was also recording the podcasts and recording them in video, but the primary purpose was the audio for the podcast, but then I would also post it on YouTube. And so I started off with long-form podcasts, long-form interviews. And just recently, I, because of, as I said, kind of bandwidth concerns that I have, I've started to repurpose some audio from my YouTube videos to my podcast. So in this year, I've shifted to essentially short-form podcasts, or podcast shorts, as I like to call them, where I'm taking the audio from my YouTube videos and I'm repurposing it on my podcast. So the episodes now aren't 45 or 50 minutes long. They are 6, 8, 10, 13 minutes long, more like my YouTube videos. But also one of the reasons why I'm doing that is because I have over 400 videos on on YouTube and there's a lot of really great content in those videos. And I guarantee that, you know, even the most avid listeners and fans of my work have not heard all of the content that I've posted on YouTube. So I decided to start posting them as shorts on my podcast so you could, you know, get the benefit of that content and which is, you know, really valuable teaching in a in an audio format that's easier to consume and listen to. So I've started to do that. So what's next? What's next for the Brand Design Masters podcast? Well, I'm not totally sure, to be honest with you. And this is the crash test dummy part, right? Is that I'm not totally sure. I'm definitely going to kind of pivot back and do some more interviews because there's, I get pitched a lot by a lot of people to be on the show. And because the show has now been around for a while and I've had a lot of heavy hitters on the show, I have a lot of 
you know, kind of prominent people who are pitching themselves to be on the show. And so I don't want to turn my back on them forever. And so I'm definitely going to be doing more interviews on the show. And I'll probably be doing more solo shows like this. One of the things, and this is another crash test dummy part, is that for some weird reason, I've always found it kind of hard to record solo podcast episodes natively, meaning it's really easy for me to take a 15 or 20 minute long form YouTube video and repurpose that audio for a podcast or to interview somebody. But I haven't done a lot of recording of podcasts only for podcasts. And you would think that because I've recorded, you know, a zillion videos on YouTube and spoken into a camera and am comfortable with that, that it wouldn't be a big deal for me to record a solo episode in a podcast. But for some reason, I find it just a little more intimidating. And I don't know why that is. And I also go live on YouTube and in my private Facebook group a lot. And that also is incredibly natural for me. And to a certain extent, it's kind of like what I'm doing now. I'm finding out except I don't have a chat window and I know that people aren't actually looking at me right now. But so that's kind of where we're going to be going with the Brand Design Masters podcast. We'll probably eventually, when my bandwidth levels out a little bit, probably pivot away from the short podcast shorts a little bit. We may you know, intersperse those and create some variety in the show. But right now we're in podcast shorts land and then soon we'll start to feather in more interviews, more solo shows, et cetera. So what else is going on? So I have an agency, obviously. My agency is called Verhal Brand Design, and I do brand strategy and design and business consulting for small to medium-sized businesses and entrepreneurs and startups. I also do coaching for creative professionals. I've published a course called Brand Strategy 101, which is available on my website and an excellent course. I started a private Facebook group, so the Brand Design Masters Facebook group. I publish my weekly YouTube videos. Now I've also started publishing shorts and repurposing those as reels on Instagram. So I've got a couple videos at least coming out a week. I started to do more YouTube lives as well. My newsletter has kind of taken a hit in terms of frequency recently, but I try to publish a brand muse newsletter every couple of weeks or so. And the big news is that I am starting a new venture. I'm starting a community for established creative professionals called, drumroll please, Bonfire. I'm going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later, but I want to talk about something else right now before I talk about Bonfire, and it leads into the subject of what Bonfire is going to be and what we're going to be doing in that community But before I tell you about Bonfire, I want to talk a little bit about barriers. And this is going to lead into the Bonfire conversation. But let's talk about, I'm going to talk about myself right now from my own personal barriers. So if you look at my profile on LinkedIn, it looks, you know, hey, I'm going to say pretty flawless, right? I mean, I've had some, I've worked for some really big companies, very senior level creative leadership positions at global agencies, as well as global corporations. I've worked with who's who of the Fortune 100 in terms of clients. I've also now started my own agency and run that for eight years, working for small to medium-sized businesses. I've developed quite you know, a content empire and, uh, and a following as well around that. And that content marketing kind of activity has really made my agency quite successful. And I get about 90% of my clients through 
content marketing. But there have been, and I just got to be really honest about this, there have been some really major hurdles and barriers in my life. And so I want to talk about those just a little bit because I think that they're going to add a level of context around what I'm going to share in terms of what Bonfire is and why it is going to be what it's going to be. And when I, I studied, actually, I didn't study design. <laughs> if anyone's, you know, hasn't heard this before, sometimes it's kind of a shocker to people, but I don't have a design degree. I, I learned everything I know about design working in the professional world. I have a degree in painting. So I have my master's degree in painting and I actually started it off as a fine artist and I got my master's in order to teach. And it was very, very difficult at the time, just getting out of school to find teaching work in upper level the education system. And so I, I looked for teaching work for about five years. Eventually, I found a position in the South of France working at a school and had about a nine-month stint there. But when I came back, I was, again, out of work. And I really had to reconsider what I was going to be doing with my professional life. And I ended up starting my own t-shirt company and running that essentially into the ground, but learning a lot within about a six-month period of time. And then I kind of stepped into the apparel industry and started learning the computer. The Macintosh had come out at that point. I was teaching myself Illustrator and Photoshop, and I got a role at a small, very small t-shirt company in Dumbo, Brooklyn. And I didn't start design. This is a point that I want to make, is that I didn't start my design career until I was 32 years old. So through that journey of getting my master's and looking for teaching work and taking whatever, you know, kind of waiting tables, framing pictures, sort of job jobs to make a living, I didn't really get started into my professional graphic design career until I was 32 years old. And, you know, that career has also not been totally rosy either, right? I mean, I've been laid off three times in my career. I've moved across the country three times for new roles at new companies. I've been out of work for over a year, twice in my career. And about eight years ago, I suffered a major burnout in a very senior role that I had in a global corporation. I've had kind of four major pivots in my career. And my career has not been without barriers, right? So why I'm building Bonfire, this community for established creative professionals, is that I am building what I needed back then. Meaning when I kind of burned out and really hit a bunch of barriers, what I really needed was what I'm going to be building in Bonfire. So let me take you back in time just a little bit till about eight years ago. I had burned out. There was stuff going on in my family that made that had a lot of psychological effects on me. And I left a global vice president role at a major corporation. And I had kind of I'd kind of lost my mojo. I lost my passion for what I was doing. I wasn't really even sure if I liked branding and design anymore. And so I ended up quitting the biggest job of my career and kind of stepping out on my own. And I was dealing with some family matters. And when we got kind of those straightened out, I kind of found myself, you know, out of work. I'd essentially unemployed myself at at an older age, and I essentially had aged out of my industry in terms of being able to walk into a new role as a senior creative leader at my age. That was one barrier. The second barrier was 
you know, I hadn't designed anything in 15 years, meaning I had been managing large creative teams on the agency side and the corporation side, but I hadn't been designing with a mouse. I've been doing a lot of, you know, PowerPoint decks and keynote decks and those sorts of strategic materials, but I hadn't been actually doing design for 15 years. So I was like super, super duper rusty. (laughs) And then my third barrier was that I had never actually freelanced before. I had never had my own clients. I'd always worked for the man, as they say, and all my clients and all my work had come to me through the companies that I was working for. My fourth barrier, and I had a lot of barriers, I had over six that I was able to count. The fourth barrier I had was that I knew nothing at that point about digital entrepreneurship. Like I'd worked in-house in corporations and companies for 25 plus years, and I'd never really gotten into email marketing. I didn't understand content marketing. I had never really been active on social media. I had posted absolute zero content. I had not built a personal brand for myself. My personal brand at that point kind of consisted of a three-page Wix website that was black and white. And it was essentially a resume and an about page and a little slideshow portfolio. It was horrific. You can actually find it on the Wayback Machine if you search that URL, philipvandusen.com, and look back at about 2015. It's really bad. And so I knew nothing about digital entrepreneurship. I also, my fifth barrier was that I had no real meaningful network. I mean, I had a giant network, but the problem was is that I now wanted to work with entrepreneurs and startups and small to medium-sized businesses. I didn't want to work for the Fortune 100 anymore. I was kind of been there, done that. And I wanted to make a deeper impact faster on smaller companies. So the huge network that I had of people who were still working in big agencies and big corporations, those people weren't going to be the people I needed to know in order to get me work for my new consultancy. So I had no real meaningful network that was going to, you know, return results for me in my new business. And then to cap it all off, the icing on the cake, was that I had some serious imposter syndrome. And you'd think I wouldn't because I'd had it, like I said, a 25 plus year career as a senior creative executive at some big name companies. And But I had never been out on my own. And one of the things you have to realize when you make a pivot like that is that when you're working for a big company and you have a big title, you have a business card that carries a lot of weight, right? You, You have a name behind it and a title behind it that carries a level of respect with it. And suddenly when you walk away with that, that business card is gone and your entire identity is your personal brand or your company or your agency. And I hadn't built anything yet. And my business card had an agency name on it that no one had ever heard of before. And I was really doubting my my worth and what value I had to bring to the table. And I had to go through a period of time and a period of self-discovery. I was working with a professional coach at the time to really kind of quantify what I had that was going to be valuable to the world, to possible new clients, to you know anyone who was going to be looking at my content or whatever I put out into the world. And so I really had to struggle with that kind of sense of self-worth as well. And this was all happening back in 2015 when I was kind of making that major pivot in my life. And so The first thing that I did when I decided to kind of start doing something was I started a accessories company. I I had gotten really enamored of uh, the craft movement in the United States and all the IPAs and the handmade uh, goods and accessories that were starting to really uh, come to life in our country. 
And I decided to partner up with an old strategy partner of mine from our previous agency that I worked with. We were both kind of interested in the same things. And we started an online e-commerce company selling accessories, but accessories that were kind of maker made and had a real level of story and provenance to them. And we named the company Verhal. And Verhal is a Dutch word. My ancestry is Dutch. That means story. And so the accessories had a level of story behind them. And so my partner and I, we built that business from scratch. So we did the strategy together. We built you know, the brand identity, the website, the e-commerce site. We sourced all the product. I photographed the product. We started an email list and started email marketing and doing content marketing and, and building all of our social media presences, et cetera. In that process, I really kind of got to love branding again. And I also kind of worked out all the cobwebs in my design chops. And so that was a really kind of formative pivot point experience. It kind of got my feet wet a little bit in digital entrepreneurship, but I was doing it all by myself and I was, well, apart from my partner, but I was learning all this stuff on my own and learning what I needed to know. The next thing I needed to know, I would just go out and research it and try to learn it. But essentially I was, I was doing it in a silo. I was doing it in my home office and I didn't have any kind of network or people to bounce ideas off of or get inspired by in terms of being a branding and design person, because my partner was a strategist. She was an MBA. So she was kind of the business head of the, the company. And so then just about after a year, we just decided to shutter it. We decided to close it. We both looked at each other about three months into running the company, and we both decided that it was really great and fun to build the, the, the brand, but we basically didn't want to like be sourcing and shipping product all day. And so we just admitted to ourselves that that was, that was great fun. It was a great experience to build it and that we were going to we were going to kind of part ways and we were going to shutter the business. So that's what we did. But it wasn't really a big fail. It wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't really hurt by it or I didn't feel kind of disheartened by it because basically what it had done is it had relit the fire in me when it came to branding and design. And it also had made me super curious and very excited about the whole, this whole new world of digital entrepreneurship. So what was my big unlock? Well, after we closed the company, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm re-excited about branding and design. I'm going to start my own consultancy. But because I had seen this major shift in the agency world in the, in the previous few years where a lot of big agencies were utilizing smaller and smaller agencies and consultancies in their in their business and that even the agency business had become more kind of had become more virtual meaning a lot of agencies were partnerships they would have one or two principals and then they would bring in contractors and they would build teams to work projects and then they would kind of disband and so that's kind of it was it was essentially the birth of the consulting class you know, and we all know that that's been a big paradigm shift that's been coming for quite some time and it manifesting itself in the industry for some time. And so I decided, you know, instead of working for a big agency or trying to start a big, you know, brick and mortar agency, I decided to start a consultancy that was going to be a partnership consultancy. And I took the name from the accessories company, Verhal, and I called my agency Verhal Brand Design. And so 
I had this agency, I was just starting off and I was, you know, building the brand and building the website and kind of getting all my materials and pitch decks and, and making partnership connections. And, but what was the big unlock for me? What was the big unlock that, that broke me through all of these barriers? And I'll tell you what it was. I was kind of, I was in my home office and I was very isolated. I realized I was really isolated for the first time in my career. I'd been working in, you know, creative departments, sometimes managing as many as 60 people, uh, designers and production people and packaging people. And suddenly it was just me. It was me in my home office. And that was a real shock to the system. I mean, I am very much of an introvert and I'm okay being on my own. I mean, I'm very comfortable with it. But after a year, and at this point, it was about a year and a half of being alone in my home office, because when I had the accessories company, my partner was in San Francisco. So we were all Zooming it anyway. And so I started to feel like super isolated. So what I did was I ended up joining a paid mastermind community, a community of digital entrepreneurs, people who were building personal brands, people who were you know, like-minded peers, and also in certain cases at the same level of development or more advanced than I was. They were on the same journey that I was. And so that mastermind group really added rocket fuel to my speed of my learning and also the level of my ambition and the amount of inspiration I was getting in terms of what was possible for me, what was possible in terms of building my personal brand. And I really found that this mastermind experience completely unlocked my potential as a digital entrepreneur. And it gave me, you know, suddenly I wasn't alone in my journey anymore. It gave me a lot of inspiration about what was possible and also helped me plan and strategize about what was going to be next for me. What was I going to build? And it gave me a lot of role models, people who were doing things that I wasn't doing yet, like I didn't have a newsletter. People had YouTube channels. They had podcasts. They were writing books. They were developing courses. All of this stuff was very new to me, but it gave me exposure to people who were doing that. And, and suddenly I realized this whole you know, menu of things that were going to be possible for me if I chose to engage in those things. But more than anything else, the most important thing I got out of that paid mastermind community was I got a level of community and you know peer community and also confidence in my decision making so when you're alone and you're you know in this new world of digital entrepreneurship and you're not really sure exactly which way to turn i mean i was a very seasoned creative professional i knew branding and strategy and design but when it came to running my own business or branding or marketing my own small business i had no idea what was possible and what were the different kind of levers or methods that you could use to get clients or g- grow influence or prove your authority and establish personal brand online so having this level of you know peer sharing and peer accountability and and also feedback on the decisions that i was thinking of making so i was able to kind of bring concepts or ideas to the table in this community and kind of get real good feedback from people who are doing that already. And it was super, super helpful. And I call it, what I like to call it is mindset mirroring. So when you, when you mirror the behavior of somebody, you're seeing what they're doing, you're getting inspired by their energy, 
and and what they're doing, and you start to unwittingly, to a certain extent, start mirroring that behavior. And that was one of the most amazing aspects of of this experience. And I became like an absolute mastermind convert, like an absolute fanatic, because it helped me build my business so fast. And I was able to make decisions so quickly and really move the ball forward with a level of confidence that I never would have had. I mean, in two years, you know, I'll tell you what I built, like what happened then? Okay, let's start, right? I started building my personal brand. So I started building a, you know, a much better, it's still not great website. Cobbler's children have no shoes. You know, in the branding world, it's kind of a joke. It's like agencies always have the crappiest websites and they, you know, are telling their clients what to do. But anyway, so I started building my personal brand. I started the Brand Muse newsletter. So I made a commitment to send a newsletter out every two weeks. And so I started writing. I started publishing content and curating content. At the very beginning, I was curating content that wasn't even mine, but content that I thought was valuable to you guys. And then I published that for about six months. And then I I started, you know, of course, to do that, I started building my email list. So I, you know, set up a couple of pop-ups on my website and I started driving traffic to my website. And those pop-ups had lead magnets on them and people would sign up and they would be on my, you know, join my newsletter. And then about six months in, in this mastermind group, I got the idea that I wanted to start a YouTube channel. Because I thought about like what? I mean, it's either a podcast or a YouTube channel for content what would be best? And I thought, I'm in design. It's a visual field. And so being able to see stuff is going to be important. If I just am on a podcast, I'm just talking about design. So it's like that old joke that you hear in art school that writing about painting is like dancing about sculpture. It's like you can't really equate the two and you can't translate one into the other. And so I had to make this decisions between a podcast and a YouTube channel. And I just thought, I have to be able to show what I'm talking about. So I thought YouTube channel is going to be the thing. And also, I also knew that YouTube and doing video and audio was more easily repurposed into audio alone, but you couldn't take a podcast and translate it into a YouTube channel very easily. It was a completely different animal. So I decided to go with YouTube. And so I started a YouTube channel. I started, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to put out a video every week for a year. I was going to treat it like a job and I wasn't going to fail. I wasn't going to not do it. And so I made that commitment to myself and I made that commitment to my mastermind peers and I they held me accountable to actually showing up to that goal. And that was super helpful in motivating me. And very soon, within a year, 80% of the clients that I got to my agency and my consultancy were coming to me directly from YouTube. And to this day, five years later, it's exactly the same. And I started, as I said, publishing and blogging, and I was writing articles for LinkedIn and other things, Medium. And I was being asked to speak at digital summits and conferences, and I was being interviewed on other people's podcasts by then. And I was starting to interview people on my Brand Muse interview series on YouTube as well. And then I was also learning how to promote all that content across social media and cross and repurpose and promote what I was doing. And then over a period of time, I began to monetize it. So apart from monetizing, you know, getting clients to my agency and working those client projects and that being a monetization aspect of it, I started monetizing my content as well. So I built a course 
called Brand Strategy 101. And that brand strategy course is available online, which you know would help you add a completely new capability set to up-level your game when it comes to working in your own creative practice. And then I started my own series of masterminds. I started a 12-week long program. And it was called Brand Design Masters Guild, and it had 10 people in it. As I said, it ran for 12 weeks, and we did an intensive mastermind meeting every week for 12 weeks. And it was very successful. I did four Brand Design Masters Guilds. And the experience of the Brand Design Masters Guild was really incredible. And one of the things that people who participated in it, who told me at the end, they said, I really wish this wasn't ending. I have gotten an incredible amount of experience and I have made some really deep and wonderful and fruitful connections with these people. And I really don't want this to end. And so essentially, I've used the Brand Design Masters Guild as the kind of incubator for what Bonfire is going to be. And I also started getting sponsorships from my YouTube channel. So I was sponsoring brands on my YouTube channel. I was now making revenue from my YouTube channel as well. And then I also started a private Facebook group called the Brand Design Masters Facebook group. So I was driving people from YouTube to Facebook so I could interact with them and get their email addresses and develop deeper relationships with my community. Because on YouTube, your community or your subscribership is completely invisible to you. You have no way of contacting them directly on YouTube. So the goal in having a YouTube channel is get them off YouTube. In fact, the goal of any kind of content, podcasting included, is to get them off that platform and onto your email list. So anyway, so that's what has happened really in the last five or six years. I went from nothing, from six major barriers and being alone in my home office and not having any kind of really clear direction about how to build this solo consultancy for myself in the new digital entrepreneurship world. And so joining a mastermind was one of those absolutely pivotal activities that I did that took me to the next level. And so what are the kind of barriers that you, a creative professional, you know, you, you're listening and you may have barriers like the ones that I laid out, you know, for my big pivot. And, you know, a lot of barriers that I hear from creative pros who are in my Facebook group and who I coach are things like, you know, they have low client attraction. They're not getting enough clients. They're faced with indecision that can be driven by perfectionism, or it can also just be driven by not knowing the right answer. They can be afflicted by what I like to call procrastinating, which is procrastinating through doing busy work. People have imposter syndrome. There's, a, you know, a lack of direction or a lack of planning or clear idea of what the next step is in their business or their careers. Other barriers that creative pros have is they have sometimes gaps in industry knowledge. They may not understand really how the industry works, both you know in-house in a corporation or the agency life or working as an independent and how you get clients, how you market. They may not have a really clear or fruitful or monetizable peer network. So their network of people that they know may not be leading or driving new business to them. So it's a network, but it's just numbers, so to speak. It's not really contributing to the business. Or if it is, it might not be contributing as much to their learning or the velocity of your learning as it could be. And then sometimes we're inflicted with you know flawed decision-making, just making the wrong decisions, or 
It could be a barrier like a defeatist mindset or kind of constant negativity of what is impossible for you to do. And there are a lot of folks, and maybe you're one of them too, who is just unsure about building a personal brand. Like, what is it for you? What does that mean for you? What's your own particular way that you're going to go about this? What is the next step? What is possible for you? What are the moves that you would make that have the best impact on your business, right? And then there's others who know that they need to start developing content, but they're scared. You know, they're afraid of putting themselves out there. They don't know what they have to say, or they don't know who, what their audience is going to be, or they don't know how to articulate the value that they have to offer in a way that's going to kind of attract people. And, and then how do you engage with those people when you do attract them? So there's a lot of questions and a lot of barriers that creative pros like us, like me, like you have. And those are exactly kind of some of the barriers that Bonfire and mastermind groups, paid communities really solved, right? These are barriers that can be broken through in a mastermind experience. And I kind of look at all these barriers. If you kind of put all those barriers into a blender and pour them out, they're kind of seven key themes that are what the unlocks are how you can break through these barriers. What are the unlocks? What are the solutions? And I, when I think about this, I find that there are basically seven major themes of what the solutions are. And one is a network of peers. So we've talked about that already, having an, a meaningful network of peers who can teach you and accelerate your learning and help drive business to your business. The second one would be goal setting. So how do you set goals? How do you set out a strategic plan for your own growth, for your own development? The third kind of theme is a feedback loop. So being able to share things and get meaningful and actionable feedback on what it is that you're, you know, decisions that you need to make. The fourth theme is guidance and guidance and coaching. So in a mastermind setting, there's generally a leader who provides a level of mentorship or coaching or, or more personalized guidance that can really move you forward because this is a person who has a real level of accomplishment and also a higher level of skill set than maybe the other members in the community. So that's also another theme for one of these big barrier unlocks. The fifth one is like new skills and new initiatives, new processes, new resources. So those are some of the things that come from the members, come to you from the members of that sort of community. Number six, the sixth theme is kind of finding your voice. And that is kind of around content. Like what is your value? What is your message? Who are you talking to? How can you talk to them? How can you become visible? And how can you start to build a, you know, a bit of gravity around yourself that's going to draw companies and peers into orbit around you? How are you going to find that voice and start, you know, kind of using that voice to build your business? And finally, the seventh theme that I see, and this is kind of like the thing that rolls it all up into one big ball, which is what the power of mastermind communities are. And the the power of masterminds is it it really synopsizes and kind of gathers all of these major themes together in one kind of big solution approach. And this is why I'm building Bonfire, because it addresses all these barriers and the solutions that are discussed in these themes. So 
I'm calling my community Bonfire. So here's the big question. Why are you calling it Bonfire, Philip? Let me explain. So I there's a book that I've read a number of times, actually. It's by a guy named Eckhart Tolle, and it's called The Power of Now. Very famous book. It's been a long, around a long time. It's been translated into like 50 languages and sold, I don't know how many millions and millions of copies. But in the book, he says at one point, he has this one really great quote. My friend, Amy McGlynn, who's a copywriter on a podcast interview, there we go, that we were on, she drew my attention to the, kind of this quote, and it sparked an idea in my head in terms of how it relates to masterminds. And the quote from Eckhart Tolle says this, it says, when a log that has only just started to burn is placed next to one that is burning fiercely, and after a while, they're separated again, the first log will be burning with much greater intensity. After all, it's the same fire. And so when you are surrounded with people who are on fire, this is where my brain went. My brain went was like, that is the perfect analogy for a mastermind. When you are surrounded with other logs, other people who are on fire in their businesses and you are placed next to them, you cannot help but catch fire. And so that's where the idea and the name for Bonfire came about. And so, as I said, my Brand Design Masters Guild was super successful and people really wanted it to continue. So I took what was really great about those masterminds and I'm building a community that is a membership community that's ongoing. And so that's what Bonfire is going to be. And that's the idea behind it. So Bonfire is going to be a hybrid mastermind coaching training group for established creative pros. So if you're in school or you're maybe two or three or five years out of school, Bonfire is probably not going to be for you. It's really for people who are five plus years or mid-career creative professionals who are really going to that next step, starting to build personal brands, really starting to drive their businesses forward. And what's included in Bonfire is, number one, it's kind of group coaching and mentorship from me, so direct access to me and my level of experience to put to work into your business. Second is we're going to have two live Zoom mastermind sessions a month as a group. Third, we're going to have a private online forum. This is going to be on the Circle platform where you'll be able to interact with fellow group members and consume content and watch you know, live stream replays and there'll be downloadable PDFs and all sorts of stuff like that. You'll also have what I'm calling the FIRE Milestones. So that's an acronym, F-I-R-E, which stands for you'll find out when you go into the group. And it's essentially a success map that helps you plan and create a strategic approach to your next steps in growing your personal brand and your business. There's also going to be a content library for on-demand collection of videos and playlists of videos, training sessions, and downloadable resources that'll help you kind of build your business. And finally, in those live Zoom mastermind sessions, we have what we call hot seats, where a whole group of people will focus their attention on you. Meaning if you bring a problem or a concern or something you want feedback for to the table, you'll have an opportunity to share that and get massive amounts of feedback and ideas from the group in that online experience. So if you go to philipvandusen.com slash bonfire, you can go to a very rudimentary <laughs> sales page. It's on Kajabi, so their builder is like really, really limited. So I apologize for the lack of design on this sales page, but 
It tells you what you need to know. And you can raise your hand and save your seat for when Bonfire launches. You'll be on the email list to get the information about how you can join if you choose to join at that point. So if you sign up on the Bonfire page, you're not committed. You're not actually buying it then. You're just raising your hand and saying, save me a seat and let me know what what's going to be going on from here on out. So if you go to philipvandusen.com slash bonfire, B-O-N-F-I-R-E, you can you know, click the button and raise your hand to be to be told when we actually launch. So if you're into joining me and getting some mentorship and coaching and training from me and also really find yourself in a on-fire, you know, peer group of people who are on a similar journey to you, I encourage you to go to philipvandusen.com slash bonfire and, you know, sign up for more information. And so I want to thank you guys for coming on this long podcast, 100th episode journey with me. It's been really fun. And I, and I hope you, some of the stuff that I've been talking about has resonated with you in terms of sharing a little bit about the development of this podcast and where it fit into the scheme of things in my personal brand and business development over the last eight years of my independent company. And how it fits into that, and also what that journey has been like. So I, I tried to be as transparent as I could about what that journey has been like, so you can understand that it's possible. It's possible for you. I mean, I was like that dog staring into the computer screen, you know, that meme that, that says, I have no idea what I'm doing. That was me about eight years ago. And so you can do it. And I'm I'm absolutely confident that that's the case if you surround yourself with peers who are on a similar journey and a, and a mentor who has your best interests at heart. And if you have any feedback about anything that I've said about Bonfire or the rest of the content of this podcast, I'd love it if you would pop into the Brand Design Masters Facebook group or shoot me an email and my connection information's in the show notes. And just email me with your feedback. It, it would be really, really great to hear from you. And if I don't hear from you and feedback about this episode, I hope to see you in Bonfire very shortly. So this has been great. I've really enjoyed kind of going on this journey with you in this 100th episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast. I hope you'll stay with me through the next 100. And until then, see you next time. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.